Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It is great to be with you on this Tuesday. We begin with this. I want to continue our discussion that we started uh, at the beginning of yesterday's show about the responses that we've seen to the terrorist attack by Hamas against Israel and now the war that is taking place between Israel and Hamas. And one of the things we talked about yesterday that I want to continue because I didn't get to all of these different wild talking points that have been getting spread um, is Republicans who have decided the priority should be hurting Biden politically. That should be what they do in terms of a response to this horrific set of atrocities. And they should exploit a crisis to see how much they can hurt their political opponent. And it's shameful. And there should be moments where we're able to set aside partisanship across the board when things are um, taking place, such as what we're seeing right now. And in the past, uh, I would say ironically or in a contradictory fashion, Republicans would say that it was so important for, for example, under Bush after 9-11 during a crisis for Americans to unite around the president, set aside your political differences and unite, don't criticize a bunch, um, his response to these attacks and instead uh, show the strength of the United States by unifying. But now, of course, that's not at all the priority in a crisis moment. It's the opposite. And so we'll go through some more examples of this. Then I'll get to another set of responses um, from non-Republicans that have been horrifying as well. So here's this from Tim Scott, the Republican senator and presidential candidate. Biden's weakness invited the attack. Biden's negotiations funded the attack, and this is him writing on X. Biden administration wanted Israel to stand down after the attack. At this point, Biden is complicit. And of course, that's false. Yesterday, if you're curious, we went through uh, the segment has Ted Cruz in the thumbnail. If you want to watch it on the YouTube channel, specifically debunking this idea that Biden funded the attack or how do you even address Biden's weakness? It's the same thing they'll say with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Can you point to specific rhetoric you're talking about that you take issue with? Or can you point to policies that he's acted incorrectly in implementing or not implementing? What are you actually talking about? Just a vague statement like that means absolutely nothing if it's not connected to actual facts. And that's what, of course, Tim Scott doesn't have uh, with this statement. And again, desperately trying to figure out how do we exploit this moment to hurt President Biden, when in reality, weakness, this, that, and the other thing, he has, and we'll get to a clip of this in a moment, come out very strong in support of Israel in this moment and is uh, very clear uh, projecting strength and clarity on where the United States stands. And then you have this talking point. Ralph Norman, the Republican congressman, said, a lid before noon while the Middle East is on fire. This is par for the course with Joe Biden. And Ron Filipkowski pointed this out for us. What he's referring to is yesterday, what they call a lid was uh, announced, which means reporters don't have to expect another public event for the rest of the day. And so Biden had done a public event. He's not going to do any more. A lid. And 
it made total sense. I'll give you an example of what he was up to instead of doing more public events, which was the correct thing on the part of Joe Biden. But it got portrayed by Republican Congress people and others, and then definitely people on Fox News as Biden is, what, taking a nap or just hanging out. And the fact that a lid was announced means that the White House shutting down or something, which that's just not what it means whatsoever. It is saying, all right, we're not going to have any more public events. We're going to be working behind the scenes. And again, I'll get to an example of what that work looked like. Um, but here's John Kirby responding to this talking point on Fox News. No question about it. All right. So uh, the president, uh, the White House called a lid on, on the president at 1146 a.m. this morning. Given what is going on, John, why would that be? Well, a lid means that he doesn't have any more public-facing events. It doesn't mean that the president's not working, and he absolutely is working. Uh, he had a, uh, another update this morning with his national security team. He stayed updated throughout the day. Uh, he's going to be talking to foreign leaders later this afternoon. Uh, there'll be a public component to that in terms of at least making it clear what that conversation was like and, and what the details of it were. We'll be putting that out and making sure people know uh, what that conversation was all about. Is the president at but the White is, House right now, John? Staying. He is indeed, yes. All right, so why... It's just manufacturing these controversies. Why is that even at all something you're trying to make a story? When obviously it's because he was needing to be busy doing things and not just delivering speeches. Such as, as Ron Filipkowski on X also pointed out, while Republicans were and are screaming on Twitter that Biden called a lid on public events at noon, it was because he was busy hammering out a multinational aid agreement with our allies, among other things, while Republicans were doing important things like posting clickbait. Exactly. They were, quote unquote, hard at work at figuring out how they could craft a post on X to perfectly dunk on Biden. He was hard at work, which is why he announced that um, or called a lid and was doing this, a joint statement on Israel outlining what had been established, the agreement that had been made, they were coordinating uh, foreign leaders and Joe Biden on what the response would be to uh, these terrorist attacks. Exactly what you would want the President of the United States to be figuring out right after a crisis such as this. And then we'll get to Joe Biden himself delivering remarks on this subject. Blood thirstiness brings to mind the worst, the worst rampages of ISIS. This is terrorism. But sadly, for the Jewish people, it's not new. This attack has brought to the surface painful memories and the scars left by a millennia of anti-Semitism and genocide of the Jewish people. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear we stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. There's no justification for terrorism. There's no excuse. Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people's right to dignity and self-determination. The stated purpose is the annihilation of the state of Israel on the murder of Jewish people. They use Palestinian civilians as human shields. Hamas offers nothing but terror and bloodshed with no regard to who pays the price.
And that last part gets us to the second set of responses that I want to address and save them for the second half of the segment because I'm going to leave the segment distraught as I, every time I think about these, have such a hard time even comprehending that this is the stance of people. Um, so we've seen, I guess, people who would say they're on the left, some fringe group of, of individuals who would, again, identify that way, even though I completely reject the idea that they align with any progressive values, who are apologizing for, even in some cases, as we're seeing some protests to this effect, celebrating the bloodshed, the carnage, the terrorism brought on by Hamas. And it's disgusting. I, I see that they're trying to proclaim it to be advocacy for, even though it's absolutely not serving this end. But they say it's advocacy for Palestinian people. If you care about the humanity of people across the board, Israeli people, Palestinian people, then you would wholeheartedly oppose the egregious acts of Hamas because of the horrific violence that they afflicted upon Israelis. And then if you're proclaiming yourself to care about as we all should again humanity across the board and for palestinian civilians who are not a part of this but are going to be impacted by the response you would also be disgusted by the acts of hamas because they knew what the reaction would be they expected israel to respond and decided to go after women and children and babies. So if you actually care, as we all should, about human beings, Israelis, Palestinians, then Hamas is absolutely something you must be fully and completely opposed to and be able to unequivocally condemn. And we should all be united in our disgust when it comes to the acts, the egregious killings, um, the massacre that we witnessed. And for people, again, to posture as advocates for the well-being of Palestinian civilians when Hamas's actions is only harming them, as Biden pointed out, is so dishonest and vile. Just to reiterate this, I did write on X. It's utterly disturbing to see so many people shrug off or even celebrate the terrorism of Hamas. Civilians murdered and kidnapped, infants beheaded, absolutely horrific and inexcusable. As the president suggests, one can and should support Palestine's right to dignity and self-determination while unequivocally opposing the atrocities of Hamas. And I really do wish this could be a moment where as a country, we unite, but obviously that's not happening. Truly disturbing stuff. Well, Carrie Lake has officially joined the 2024 Arizona 
run for Senate. And Carrie Lake, if you're not familiar, is this individual who worked in the media and then ran for governor in 2022 in the midterms and then lost and since then has been pretending that she won. She used the Trump uh, playbook and has said that the election was stolen without evidence and she has failed in her court cases to bring forward that magic evidence she says actually exists and is a sore loser like Donald Trump and has carried that all the way to her next candidacy running for Senate. So I'll show you uh, some moments from her rally where she made this announcement. Trump called into it, had a video message, or not called in, but had a video message played at this that we'll watch as well. First, this disastrous, as always, just a random moment. I was quickly, when I saw this news was breaking, grabbing some clips that she had been sending out on X. So this was one of them making a profound point about the media. I'm with you too. I'm with you too. This next year, I want to warn you, is going to be even crazier and nastier than the last election cycle. It's hard, it's hard to bring it on. Bring it on, he said. And the media, our friends in the media, are going to be incredibly awful. So I want to give you guys a pro tip since I worked three decades in the media. It's always opposite day with the media. Whatever they say, assume the polar opposite. The people they attack the most, i.e. President Trump, are the people who are fighting for you the most. They really are. So we know they're going to run cover for all of the career politicians. That's Okay. So I think it was behind the scenes with Stephanie Rule, if I'm not mistaken, of 60 Minutes where Trump reportedly said, the reason I call you fake news is so that whenever you do stories that are not flattering about me, my followers won't believe them. And that's what Carrie Lake is doing so obviously there. Hey, you know how the media is going to say that I've been lying about democracy and uh, can't accept a democratic election result and um, not to mention and lying about all these other policy subjects? Yeah. Everything they say, believe the opposite, I guess. That will be your uh, navigation system for this election. That does work out for her when any accurate reporting would indicate why she is such a bad candidate. Then Donald Trump had his video played at this event, and I'll show you Carrie Lake introducing it, then the video itself. Seventh president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. I love Arizona. It's great to be with you tonight and with your next United States Senator, Carrie Lake. I wish I could be there with everyone, but I'm busy on the campaign trail and fighting off all of the bad people. And we're running for president. We're doing really well. We're leading every poll by a lot. In fact, record numbers. And when I'm back in the White House, I need strong fighters like Carrie in the Senate. She is a fighter. She's strong and she's good. She's got a great heart, by the way. For four incredible years, my administration brought historic peace and prosperity to America. And then he goes on to his normal things there. So Carrie Lake will be running against Ruben Gallego, a Democrat and Christian Cinema, now an independent. She's the incumbent. So it creates this sort of unconventional situation where Christian Cinema is the incumbent, used to be a Democrat, now an independent. 
but has alienated a lot of the Democratic base. And uh, now Carrie Lake, who also alienates a lot of the Republican base, and then Gallego, a Democrat, and just a lot going on there. Because she's just now getting the race and we're still pretty far out, it's hard to get a sense of where the polling uh, sits. Not so shockingly, you have polls that are commissioned by Gallego's campaign that say he's leading Carrie Lake and every time Kirsten Cinemas way down, um, trailing both of them. And then you have more Republican-leaning pollsters showing that Carrie Lake is leading. So it's going to be likely a close race, and hopefully Gallego will prevail. But we'll see how that picture becomes more clear as we get closer to the actual election. But we saw this coming. She doesn't want to fall out of relevance. She desperately wants power and knows that the elections aren't actually being stolen. Otherwise, if they could just steal the election, why is she running again? But just can't accept that it's all over with her last campaign. So keep saying, yeah, technically I should be governor, but I'm going to run for Senate. And I guess I want you to trust our election systems enough to go out to vote for me. But if I lose, it'll be stolen again. And that's what's so exhausting because I'm an optimistic person. I'm going to advocate for and hope for and believe in the possibility being um, likely that Gallego will prevail. And if he does, we all know what's going to come. It was stolen. It was stolen. It was stolen from Carrie Lake, which is exhausting at this point. But what we have to deal with, and it is breaking down one step at a time for so many people, the perception of legitimacy in our democratic process, not because they actually have a reason to convince their followers of that, that is justified, only a reason that is based on pure self-interest and um, putting themselves beyond the importance of a functioning, legitimate, and perceived to be legitimate democratic process. Well, we got news that George Santos has been charged with new criminal felony charges by the Justice Department. A superseding indictment has come down. This is not good for George. It's good for justice. I hear from CBS News, George Santos charged with conspiracy, wire fraud, and more. Embattled New York Representative George Santos was indicted uh, on new federal charges on Tuesday in a superseding indictment, including conspiracy, wire fraud, aggravated identity theft, and credit card fraud. Just days after his former campaign treasurer pleaded guilty and admitted too much of the conduct, according to court documents, prosecutors in the Eastern District of New York newly alleged that Santos and Nancy Marks, his former campaign treasurer, submitted false financial reports to the Federal Election Commission that inflated the campaign's fundraising numbers in an effort to qualify for certain perks, benefits, and support from Republican Party leaders. So we covered the story somewhat recently of his former treasurer, Nancy Marks, pleading guilty, as the article noted. And as I mentioned when covering that story, it's not a good sign for George Santos if someone who was allegedly a part of the acts that they're then pleading guilty for, pleads guilty for those acts, and then is able to point and say, the person I was doing that with and had the direction of was this guy, and the evidence is damning enough for that person to feel the need to plead guilty, then the person being pointed at 
is probably in a tough situation. I probably could have explained that more succinctly, but we continue forward. The 10 new charges included in the superseding indictment until Tuesday also include fresh allegations that Santos uh, used individuals' personal credit card information to make unauthorized charges in support of his political campaign. The victims, according to the charge, were previous donors to the campaign who had submitted their personal information when contributing funds to Santos. Someone is kind enough to George Santos to give their personal information as they are donating to his campaign and to thank them, George Santos allegedly steals money from them. In one instance, the court documents unsealed Tuesday reveal Santos allegedly racked up $15,800 in charges on a contributor's credit card, a sum far higher than federal campaign laws permit. That donor did not know, uh, know of or authorize charges exceeding such limits, prosecutors say, and it lays out the fact that previously he has already had criminal charges brought against him by the DOJ that are being added on top of now, a slew of charges from original indictment that included accusations that he devised an alleged scheme to defraud prospective supporters of his 2022 congressional campaign. Prosecutors alleged he used solicited campaign donations on personal expenses, including luxury. <laughs> this is crazy. Every time I read this, it just, it's like a movie. Luxury designer clothes. That's what he was using this money on. Credit card and car payments and payments on personal debts. So more legal difficulties for George Santos. Here was this as it was breaking on CNN. The Justice Department has charged one of the Republicans voting, George Santos of New York, with 23 counts, including identity theft and money laundering. CNN's Manu Raju is on Capitol Hill for us where this news is just breaking. Uh, Manu, uh, I know you have to do a lot to get kicked out of the Republican Party these days, but can Congressman Santos keep his job as he faces these charges? This has been a huge question all year long. Of course, he had been charged earlier this year. This is a superseding indictment, Jake, that was just announced by the Justice Department, filed in district court in New York. And according to this release, he was charged with conspiracy, wire fraud, false statements, falsification of records, aggravated identity theft, and credit card fraud. Now, this indictment, Justin Seal, will have to go through all the details and the allegations therein, but undoubtedly this will put pressure on Republicans to take action. So I understand all this is still technically just allegations, but seems pretty damning against George Santos at this point in time. And if indeed all of this is proven to be the case, which it wouldn't shock me if indeed George Santos was dishonestly deceiving and defrauding people. It is once again a reminder of how character matters because before we knew about all the potentially criminal stuff, we just knew this guy was a huge liar on things that weren't criminal. All of his past, his resume, we saw the way that he is this serial liar and clearly did not have the character to present himself honestly to voters. And then potentially that low character played out in other areas of even more consequence and thus he's now being prosecuted for it and so even before we know for sure the negative outcomes of someone's low character when they are in a position of power choosing higher character people will always be better for the country and specifically their constituents
Well, this is absurd. Uh, almost funny if it wasn't representative of a broader, very serious issue. An Alabama public library was going through and making a list of books that they would mark down, flag, and then go through and review to potentially remove from their bookshelves. And so they were deemed to be explicit in need of review, this list of hundreds of books. And one of them was deemed to be so because you're not going to believe me when I say this, but then I'll show you the news report uh, where the library itself is explaining what happened. The last name of the author is Gay, G-A-Y, Gay. Mary Louise Gay is the name of the author. And for some reason, somehow, that got this book flagged because, I don't know, the intern who was responsible for marking down which books could potentially be explicit <laughs> saw that name and thought, ah, I was warned about the LGBTQ woke propaganda. Get it out. Crazy stuff. Here is this. Now, the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library Director says it mistakenly added a children's book to the explicit list because of the author's name. A Read Me a Story, Stella, is a children's picture book by Canadian author Mary Louise Gay. It's about siblings reading books together and building a doghouse. Uh, the book was one of 233 titles uh, set to be reviewed and potentially removed. However, that process has been put on hold since that incident, according to reports. Birmingham's rainbow. So it's been put on hold for the time being, which is good. Uh, but that individual example could just be a one-off. Okay, they're going to put it back. They realize their mistake. But I'll show you a little bit more reporting that we'll talk about what you're aware of, which is the broader implications of this obsession with getting rid of books that are being challenged by different individuals in communities across the country. But here's this from another local publication, children's picture book flagged at Alabama library because author's last name is gay. Read me a story. Stella is a children's picture book about pair, uh, a pair of siblings reading books together and building a doghouse. However, because the author's name is Mary Louise gay, the book was added to a list of potentially sexually explicit books to be moved from the children's section of the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library system. Now this sounds like, if I'm really going to do a little bit of investigative journalism here, no, um, it sounds like they have a website with all the books in their system and they are getting swept up in this mass hysteria and are thinking we can't have the propaganda of the leftist liberal woke mob and so in their system they to search for the sexually explicit subjects as they perceive them to be they put a bunch of keywords and again i'm saying this sort of in a funny way because as i've said before that's how we say sane talking about these stories but this is actually devastating the way that people approach these different uh, subjects, trying to avoid any conversation of LGBTQ people. And here, you could totally imagine in their little online system, typing gay as a keyword. Oh, one of these books, gay, because it caught the author's name. How else would the last name be a flag for 
um, this list. It doesn't make any sense. But a keyword system, maybe that's what did it. Meaning, just the very concept of gay or LGBTQ matters, or as we see in other examples, discussions about race, stories about race and the challenges that people face based on uh, their race. And that is what is being targeted in so many ways, trying to push out some of these discussions. And what we'll see, like we saw that absurd moment from uh, Senator John Kennedy, is a desperate attempt to find some example in this massive country, so you'll be able to find it, of an inappropriate book, an actually inappropriate book, and then using the purported mission of getting rid of that actually really explicit material to then say somehow it's explicit and inappropriate to have any books that talk about LGBTQ experiences or talk about race and related issues and experiences. And that's what we're seeing play out. And then in the name of, again, these little cherry-picked examples, they'll create infrastructure around allowing individual parents to throw the library process into mayhem and ripping a bunch of books that they just personally have an issue with because they don't want LGBTQ stuff to be talked about, etc. And that's what we're seeing, unfortunately, become all too common across the country. And it matters and it affects people's ability to be informed and educated and learn about things. And so uh, no matter how many times they use these, like I said, John Kennedy cherry-picked examples, we are seeing this ideology impact books that 100% should be available to students. I finally found a really consolidated, simplified summary of the defense of Donald Trump from his lawyers and his followers in relation to the two indictments that relate to his attempts to overturn the 2020 election results allegedly unlawfully. And we've seen these long word salad defenses of Trump where they twist together all these different talking points and argue against things that he's not even being prosecuted for, like his freedom of speech, that's not what these relate to, or uh, make up legal defenses that obviously won't stand in court. But finally, we got very consolidated, clear, but very questionable from his, uh, or one of his lawyers, Christina Bob, in this Newsmax appearance. And the Republican Accountability Project uh, was circulating this on X, and they said Trump attorney Christina Bob gives a very questionable legal defense of Trump's attempt to undermine our democracy. So in 10 seconds, I'm gonna show you the actual defense of Donald Trump as they believe it to be, um, I guess, strong here but he certainly had the right to question the election and uh he has an absolute immunity from any activity that's associated with that but and that sums it up now she starts with something true trump does have the right to question the results of the election no one's denying that that's why he's not being prosecuted for it but she even knows that's not a defense for the allegations being brought against him so that's why she connects it to oh also any activity associated that's the word she used, activity associated with his claims that the election was stolen. Anything he was doing that he was justifying with those lies, also he's immune. Which 
makes no sense, would totally fail in a court of law, just broadly using the term absolute immunity for any activity, as long as you're saying you engage in that activity because you believe the election was stolen. That's not how elections work. That's not how laws work. Just because you had a really strong feeling or were really hating the fact that you lost and did have the right to express those feelings with your words doesn't mean you had the right to engage in any activity you like potentially outside the law um, in trying to overturn the results of that election. And so there, her knowledge that the typical line of Trump's being prosecuted for his freedom of speech and he's allowed to question the results of the election isn't going to stand up in a court of law and isn't even that convincing in the court of public opinion because it has nothing to do with what he's being prosecuted for. So then she tries to connect it to all the related activities as well, which is ridiculous. Um, and then it calls into question her beliefs about just laws as they relate to elections generally. Are you saying that there isn't any way for a president, there's no conceivable way, separate from how you feel about this case against Trump, that statement makes it sound like you're saying there's no way you can unlawfully attempt to prevent a peaceful transfer of power and keep yourself in your position of power. There has to be some way. And if I think it up, it looks something like getting together fraudulent slates of electors, trying to assert those to be the lawful ones, trying to use those to justify just staying in the White House or getting Mike Pence to impede a lawful governmental proceeding, the certification of the election or pressuring local officials to do things that would be against their oath of office and would disenfranchise millions of voters. It would look something like that. Now, will that be deemed against the law in a court of law? We'll see. But uh, looks pretty bad. And so as people defend Trump, they set up, if they cared about being logically, uh, logically consistent, a set of beliefs they would have to have to stay logically consistent that are just completely off the walls, such as someone, such as Trump, since he was questioning the results of the election, that also means any activities he engaged in based on that were fine. Any potentially criminal conspiracies, nah, he was fine. Now, since we're talking about Christina Bob, she's in this clip, but it's sort of unrelated, completely unrelated, uh, but I've been meaning to discuss it. Marjorie Taylor Greene's boyfriend, Brian Glenn, had this to say during a recent appearance with Christina Bob. Liberal women tend to be some of the ugliest women I've ever seen. And I'm serious. I mean, zero makeup. Well, they they take men. no pride in their Well, they want to be men. They take no pride in their in their in their dress, their attire, their makeup, their haircut. Half of them look like men. Hairy armpits, hairy legs. Come on. That is not embracing uh, what it what it means to be a woman. So And very notably, the best person to go to for advice on <laughs> how to be a woman, Brian Glenn. I really don't understand people who choose to speak like that about other people. And it's interesting because if any liberal pundit said something like that about just making any generalization about conservatives, whether it be men or women or just conservatives generally, all hell would break loose. 
you hate all Republicans, you hate the middle of the country, or you hate all MAGA people, and it's always being spewed on the other side. And the interesting thing is, as a liberal pundit myself, I never have the urge to say any of those types of statements, because I don't feel that way, because I don't have that type of uh, insecure and immature approach to the world. We talked about on yesterday's show the fact that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has dropped out of the Democratic primary for president to run as an independent. As I will always note, uh, bad candidate, bad candidacy, and his own siblings agree with me on that, condemning, denouncing his candidacy, and we talked about that yesterday. I wanted to show you, I saw that he got asked about that on Fox News, so I want to take a look at that with you all, seeing what his response will be to his own siblings denouncing his now independent run for president. But as a reminder of this statement from his siblings, the decision of our brother Bobby to run as a third party candidate against Joe Biden is dangerous to our country. Bobby might share the same name as our father, but he does not share the same values, vision, or judgment. Today's announcement is deeply saddening for us. We denounce the candidacy and believe it to be perilous for our country. So here is him answering to that. Vitriol, and I'm not going to engage in that. Sure. Could I just bring you to this? Kerry Kennedy, Rory Kennedy, Joe Kennedy on Monday denounced you in a statement saying Bobby might share the name of our father, but he does not share the same values, vision, or judgment. That's got to hurt. Well, you know what? I love my family. Um, every family has disputes. I've got a lot of family members who are supporting me. There's a lot of members of my family who are working for the Biden administration and, you know, they have their own opinions about issues. Mm -hmm. I believe, let me say this, and all of the issues that my father believed in and my uncle believed in, if you went down and checked the box, that I would check every box. So I believe that I'm very much aligned with those things. I okay, so he disagrees with them. Not surprising, but... He did say that every family has disagreements, which is obviously the case. Having disagreements is a little bit different than being denounced publicly as uh, perilous to our democracy and to the future of our country by um, this run. And that's what his siblings had to say. But truly, I've been confused. Who is attracted to this candidacy? Who is seeing RFK Jr. thinking, that's my guy? Because I've tried to go through his platform. Yes, we know about the conspiracy theories, but what else is he providing? And there is kind of an incoherent nature to it. And he doesn't seem clear on a lot of issues, especially in interviews. He'll get pressed on, okay, what do you want to do with health care or climate change response? Specifically, what do you want to do? And he just seems to be spitballing. I think we went over this on a bonus show at some point. And just kind of, ah, you know, you could do that. Or that, I don't know. But is really passionate about censorship and has conspiracy theories with that and uh, with COVID stuff and vaccines. And aside from that, I just find him to be very, like I said, incoherent and not notable on his actual policy stances when he's not talking about these ridiculous ideas. We will wrap it up there for today. Thank you so much for watching and listening to today's show. Make sure 
If you're not already podcast listeners, you become a member at lukebeasleyshow.com slash membership, and I'll see you all tomorrow.